The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Yes, good afternoon or good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Jill. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome back to the, for those uh, who listened to a previous episode of uh, Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Uh, thank you very much for joining and listening. Un petit bonjour aussi, un petit bonsoir aux personnes qui écoutent uh, en France. A little hello to the people listening in France. I believe there's a, a few of them, which is good. It's uh, 9 p.m. in France, so it's uh, apparently a good time. So welcome back. I wanted to say a few words um, to make a transition between the last week's show, which was about grace. And, and the last quote that, I, the quote that I mentioned from Parker Palmer, and in between I received, in between two shows, I received some feedback from two of my friends, so I would also to acknowledge that. The first one, a person, Jean, near Chicago, was struck by, the, by, by this quote, this quote from, um, from Parker Palmer. So I think it's a good segue to, to connect those both, uh, the feedback and last week's show. So she mentioned that she was struck and that she could read into it, especially some people that, are, that need to get other people's attention and other people's love, in a sense, and they tend to, to lose themselves, in a sense. So it's obviously important uh, to have a strong sense of self and, and to have um, what I would call some self-love. I will get into that today because it's a very important uh, point, uh, a point uh, which is very necessary if we want to, to move into forgiveness and into love. And the second piece of feedback came from uh, my friend Terry in Paris, and uh, he, he ticked in a sense with the notion of surrendering that I mentioned also, one of the conditions of, um, of a grace to, to move out from within. And uh, it reminded him of that situation that he had about two years ago when he, he left a freelance uh, job, a freelance situation where it was not very stable. And um, it didn't feel that much ego resistance, like I mentioned. I think I will be talking about ego resistance quite a bit in this show because it's, it's part of the spelunking uh, adventure. But what he experienced uh, around this, his own decision, uh, was people's negativity, people's around him telling him that he was doing the wrong thing, that he was making the wrong move, and that he wouldn't be successful. And um, oftentimes, that's what we hear when we have to make uh, a, brave, uh, a brave move into a, a very different di- direction. So 
So he, he was kind of curious uh, and he asked me a couple of questions that I'm not going to answer today, I think. I would like to keep them for another show. He said, uh, can grace come in in the form of a person and is or acts? Uh, I think that people often relate to grace positively in terms of positive acts of kindness or messages. But is it possible for grace also to come in in the form of negativity and negative acts? And perhaps it is. Uh, again, I'm not going to delve into that today, but uh, it, it could very well be that some people are trying to redirect us into to make us see something else. And sometimes it could be beneficial. Sometimes uh, it cannot be beneficial. It's, it's hard for me to say like this. So uh, rather than spending time on this question, which could um, take me some, some time to, to discuss, I would like to, again, go back to the, the quote that I mentioned uh, at the end of the show last week. Uh, it's a quote from Parker Palmer. And there's two parts in that quote. The second one is the... I would think the most beautiful, but interestingly enough, it's not the one that caught my attention um, in the past few days. So the, the second part of the quote text tells a story about, uh, it's an ascetic tale, tells a story about putting words, words that are not ripe yet uh, on top of our hearts. And when finally our hearts is ready, finally when our hearts is, um, is ripe, uh, is mature enough in a sense, then the words can fall in. And I would think it's talking about words of wisdom and words that can help us make the right decision. The context of that quote was about, um, what about slavery time in the 18th century. And uh, Parker Palmer was talking about... Um, a guy called John Woolman. Um, I read a bit about his history yesterday, and he was a very fervent um, uh, challenger of slavery practices in the U.S., obviously. Most, he lived in the U.S., but also traveled to Europe. And uh, he went through all around the country, and he was trying to convince his, uh, his peers, his brothers and sisters, the Quaker, um, that this kind of practice was evil. And I think eventually he, he succeeded, obviously, but uh, it was interesting in the quote that describes um, the tension that took place, the tension between one side, and there's very often a situation in, uh, in a group that one side wants to stick to the status quo and wants to not change anything at all because it feels comfortable and because um, why would we change? We don't see any benefit in changing. So there was the, the slavery approving majority in the Quaker community and there was the other, the other um, part of the community that wanted to change and wanted to, to free the slaves and banish that, that, uh, that practice. And what he was describing, Parker Palmer in this quote, was describing the tension, the tension being between those two, those two factions, in a sense, those two parts of the community. And it made me think more of an, on, a, on a personal level, you know, how things in our minds, uh, I'm talking really our own spelunking, our own inner explorations, things that, um, that co not connect, but things that, um, that can't go together. There's a friction, in a sense, between one part of our mind, what, what our mind that tells us, and, and what we want to do or what we can possibly do. And uh, it's not always a very easy thing to, to resolve. But um, I wanted to give you a couple examples of, of uh, holding the tension. And it's not always a question of solving uh, the situation. Sometimes 
as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of pressure in our minds, pressure to do something which is not necessary on the spot. That happens to me fairly, fairly often. I mentioned one example last week uh, about taking our son to daycare and the garbage people coming. And uh, again, there's things that can wait. They can wait hours. They can wait days. They don't have to be done right away. But from within, at least personally, I think that pressure to do things right away. Things cannot wait. That's the message that I get. And I wanted to mention one, one other example of holding the tension and holding the tension more or less against uh, the message coming from, from the mind. And uh, I think it's a practice that we need to, to practice, that we need to, to give attention to. This past uh, October, I attended a, a retreat in, uh, in Colorado, a spiritual retreat, six day long. Uh, arrived on Saturday and left the following Friday. Very intense retreat from like 8 in the morning until 10 at night. And as part of the program, obviously, I needed to fly into Colorado and I flew into Denver. And then from Denver, I rented a car with two other people and we had to drive a good, a good two hours to get to the place in, uh, further south in Colorado. And the organizers had sent us some, some directions, some uh, information about logistics. And they were saying that uh, most likely the program is going to end on Friday mid-morning. So Friday mid-morning, I thought it must be about 10, 10.30, something like this. And accordingly, I scheduled um, my return flight around the 3.30, uh, leaving departing Denver Airport at 3.30. And that seemed fine. It would give me enough of time to, to go back, uh, return the car, you know, refill the, the tank, and then uh, take the shuttle from the, from the car rental station to the airport. And when I get to the uh, retreat uh, location, to the lodge, and I read the program, and the first thing I read is that we're going to end by noon on Friday. And noon, possibly, I know that people tend to go overboard and they, they like to say goodbye to each other. So in my mind, suddenly it meant 12, 12.30, and possibly more than 12.30. And I started in my mind, and I started to, 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 to build that kind of a message um, of fear, if you wish. I don't know if it's a wish, but, you know, the message kept coming that it would be too tight. You're never going to be able to make that connection from, from driving back, dropping the car, and then going to the airport, going through security. And, and the message got st strong at times, and I was able to hold that tension. And again, it's not a tension that anything needs to be done. It's a tension that something is happening within your mind, and in a sense, you have to be able to to keep that tension at bay. And it's not, um, it's not easy, believe me. I'm sure you've experienced similar situations when you get a strong message from your mind. And in this situation, there was nothing I could do but wait until the end of the week. And I think it was part of the experience for me there in the retreat. I mean, a way to, to test my faith and a way to test my muscle, in a sense, my, my mind muscle versus my soul muscle, in a sense. And again, there was nothing I could do. So every time the message came in my mind, I tried to, not so much to ignore it, but to appease my mind and say, things are going to be fine and we're going to be, um, going to be back on time. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, um, Wednesday evening during that week, one participant uh, asked me, you know, would you be able to give me a ride back? And I said, yes, we still have one, one seat available. And that, again, started a process of, of 
Now we're going to be four people in the car, which means one more person, one more luggage, time to load, and things like this. And um, it was almost like nonstop. I even asked at some point, I believe it was Thursday, Thursday afternoon, I asked the retreat leader, you know, would it be possible to ask to start the next day 30 minutes earlier so that we would finish you know, around 11.30 or so? And she thought about it and she said, no, we should be fine. Um, I'm planning to end like a right around noon. And again, I had to deal with the situation in my mind. It's something that kept running all week long. Eventually, I think the retreat ended around 12.15. We were very quick at leaving, and um, we made it to the airport. And I was at the gate, I believe, 30 or 45 minutes before departure time. And in the end, everything is fine, but I don't have the skill of looking into the future and knowing that I would be back on time at the airport. And, and how else do I do but try to... Um, to master my mind, I guess. And it's not a very easy thing to do, obviously. And um, it's very rare that you know, disasters happen. Even missing a flight is not the end of the world. It's a bit uh, of an inconvenience, but still. And so, so, yeah, well, so we are. And so we find these kind of tensions in our lives. And um, again, there's, at times, there's not much we can do. At other times, you know, when we have... Um, negative messages coming in our lives from different people, it's, uh, it's a different story. And uh, sometimes we need to argue with those people and make our point. And sometimes uh, just ignore them because you realize that they are not helping us in, in any way, I guess. We have to use our own, uh, our own judgment, our own wisdom to, to be able to manage that tension to, to the best of our ability. And there was... Um, Something else I wanted to mention to you, it's, um, it's a story about uh, two monks. And uh, it's a very interesting story that I learned about maybe 10, 12 years ago. I don't know where the monks are, it doesn't really matter, but they're walking in the countryside. And um, at some point they come to a river. And the river is not very deep, I guess you can walk across the river, but it's very muddy and it's a bit, you know, rocks and... and uh, Obviously, you have to get your feet wet. And they find there, by the, by the bank of the river, they find a, a, a young lady. She's very nicely dressed, and she, she hesitates. Uh, she doesn't want to cross the river because she realizes that she's going to get a, a dress and her shoes wet, and she doesn't want to do that. And one of the monks, the, the senior monk, said, uh, young lady, if you'd like, uh, I could carry you across uh, on my back. And then once we got to the other side, I will drop you and you will continue your way. And that is fine. I mean, she said, yes, please, uh, I would very much appreciate that. So the three of them cross the river, get on the other, on the other side, on the other bank, and everything is fine. And the, the, the monk drops uh, the young woman, and she's very grateful. She expresses uh, gratitude for what he did, and they go their own way. And the other two monks continue their their walk towards their, um, their destination. And um, at some point, maybe an hour or two, two after they, they pass the river, the young monk, the, the junior monk, um, starts talking to the senior monk and says, you know, I don't think that what you did was appropriate, you know. Our order has very strict rules, and you're not supposed to... Um, to carry women, you're not supposed to touch women. I guess it goes against the very 
philosophy and code of conduct of our uh, society, in a sense. And he started an argument with the, with the senior monk. And the senior monk looks at him and he says, you know, I dropped this woman right after we crossed the river. I dropped her there, and you are still carrying her. And that's the end of the story. You're still carrying her in your mind. And uh, once I heard this story, I thought about myself, and I said, wow, this is a very powerful uh, way of telling how we can hold on to thoughts, and usually thoughts that we are not very... Um, Know, not very healthy thoughts. And uh, I thought to myself, mm, this is something that I do on a regular basis. And sometimes I have discussions slash arguments with people. I want to make my point and we, you know, we, we live in good terms, but yet we haven't found any kind of agreement. And I'm still holding that, that thought that I want to make it to be right in a sense. And I want to to get these people right because I am right and they are wrong. And I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's, this is also a way of, of showing us how we can, in a sense, bear grudges towards people. It's something that can stick to our mind and if we're not able to, to drop the fight, to drop the thought, sorry. If we're not able to drop the thought, then it becomes so much more difficult to keep moving. It's like our mind, in a sense, is, um, is too busy. Is too busy into these negative patterns of trying to get back at the other person, mentally speaking. And then uh, what, the only outcome there is judgment. It's judgment, and it is negativity, and it is uh, very unhealthy patterns. And I think it's, it's something we need to, to address in our personal lives. The, the challenge there is that uh, most of the time those patterns, those repetitive patterns, are not, are not conscious. And it's working in a sense overdrive in our, in our subconscious or very close to our consciousness. Uh, you know, we create stories in our mind, we create scenarios, and we sometimes uh, do things in our minds to, to get at other people. At least uh, I, can, I, can, I can attest to that, that I, I've been doing this uh, as a young child. I think I mentioned that. But um, it's, a very, it's a very ingrained pattern that we need to to circumvent and, and, and make aware as much as possible. So in, in the next segment, I would like to, to discuss uh, how this does, does this relate to the concept of uh, forgiveness and love, and especially uh, the concept of self-love. Because if, if something like this is a negative pattern or negative thought is blocking our way, how can we possibly uh, love ourselves in, in the very first place? So I will be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
Are you looking to advance spiritually? Listen each week for Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom. Your host, Medium Maureen Allen, will cover an array of spiritual topics aimed to help you advance your soul's desired growth. Each week, areas of spirituality will be discussed and explored ranging from strange, paranormal experiences to heaven, spirit guides, and angels. To learn more about the other dimensions and how to better assist your path of evolution, tune into Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Welcome back. Thanks again for joining. So I was talking uh, right before the break. I was talking about this notion of... um, of unhealthy patterns in our minds and these patterns in a sense, um, these patterns of judgment uh, blocking our, our possibility to love, to love with capital L. I'm not talking obviously about romantic love. Um, uh, and, and, and the connection between these patterns and the ability to love ourselves. And th- this past week I got... Um, I listen again to what happens between shows and the kind of messages I receive on email or from people or from comments on, on Facebook. And, and I got a couple, uh, a couple comments, a couple uh, posts about, about self-love. And, and what does it mean to love ourselves? Um, it, it's not an easy answer. Um, I struggle, I think, quite a bit. Uh, it may have to do with my background, my, my cultural background. Um, France is a country where people people tend to, I'm not to say they do, but they tend to criti- criticize a lot. And uh, I was born in a family where my mother was very critical. Uh, she's still alive and she criticizes still quite a bit, but um, not as harshly as she used to. I mean, I remember once, I don't know why, out of the blue, um, she mentioned, I think it was the 30th wedding anniversary dinner of our cousins of ours in the, in the middle of France. And um, our cousin uh, had sent her the, the menu. So she was reading the menu to me and she was criticizing every, little, every single uh, dish, every single dish on the menu. And at the time, I didn't say anything, but now I would reflect, you know, where, where does this criticism comes back, comes from, uh, if not from our own insecurity? Um, I think we need to criticize other people uh, because because we are in the first place criticizing ourselves, and uh, maybe things we don't like about ourselves. Maybe it's uh, it's our weight, it's our appearance, it's uh, it's I don't know what it is, but it's something we do. It's something we don't do. I mean, there's so many reasons to for us to be unhappy with uh, with who we are, and I think that's where the um, I wouldn't say where the problem starts, but that's where the issue is. 
that until we really find a way to love ourselves, and again, it's something which is not easy to define, uh, until we do that and find a way to really love ourselves, uh, we're not going to be able to, to love other people. And that made me think about, um, you know, what does it mean to love, to love and to love oneself? And um, again, because of my background, initially this, this idea of love was to be, was supposed to be only outer directed. You can only love someone else. Even the concept of esteem, which is closely related. Uh, oftentimes in the U.S. you talk about self-esteem. In France, usually the verb is very similar, estimer. And the verb you esteem someone else, but it's not a self it's not a self-directed verb. You can make up the concept of self-esteem into French, estime de soi, but it's not it doesn't make any sense culturally speaking. And oftentimes I've heard of the concept of self-esteem as such, uh, English concept in, used in France. And so there's a tendency in that culture, in many collective cultures, I guess. I'm talking about French because it's the culture I know best. But I'm sure it's very much the same in, in very collective cultures where you are raised to be part of a community and you are raised to, at the same time, obey the rules of, of conduct. And, and the emphasis is not so much on who you are or as a single unit of that group, but more, much more so as, as the whole. So you, you learn very early on uh, your place in the whole and how can you take care of the whole but uh, not so much uh, how can you take care of yourself, how can you nurture your own self from a very, uh, very healthy perspective. It's not a question here. I'm not talking, obviously, about self-centeredness. I'm talking about how can I nurture the seed within myself that is going to grow healthily and it's going to give way to a healthy individual, uh, an individual who is very balanced between the, his own or her own self and, and the group and the society in which uh, she lives. So what does it mean to, to love oneself? Again, it's, it's, a, it's a question which is always um, coming into my mind. And I think I can, I can tell you things about that I don't do about myself, like I don't criticize myself or I don't belittle myself or I don't look down on myself, I guess. But what do I do, you know, um, positively speaking, um, to love myself? It's um, to the extent that I do spelunking, yes, it's very true. Um, this is a way to, to take care of our, again, the seed at the core of our life. It's a way to nurture our own, um, our own humanity. Uh, it's a way to, to learn and grow uh, to that extent. Yes, I want, to feed, uh, I want to feed and nurture the seed, the seed of my own life. But um, I've had a lot of tendencies in my, in my past also to, to look at myself and, and this is not good, this is not bad, this is not up to my standards. And, and it's a pattern that Again, we have to defeat, in a sense, to the extent that these patterns, because of the work we do, um, because of the spiritual work we do, or the personal development work we do, this pattern of defeating ourselves, you know, come back to the surface, and we are able to catch it right away, I guess. Look at the story of the monk. They walked for one or two hours, and then finally, the younger monk couldn't hold the tension in his mind. And he finally said to the senior monk, you know, why have you been carrying this woman across the river? This is not proper conduct. And, and 
if you can catch that thought, that thought that has been ruminating in your life and possibly in the background, doing some damage in the background, uh, it's important to catch, to catch it as early as possible and then to turn that thought around and to transform it into something more positive. Obviously, if it's something that's bothering you, I think it's important to, um, to address it as, as soon as possible. And, and sometimes, sometimes it is necessary to, to address things in the open with people. Sometimes, sometimes you have to question yourself. What are your motives? Uh, what is your mind made about, I guess? So, um, this is an example. And, and another question that came in, in relation to this idea of, um, of loving ourselves, you know, um, how often do we, do we keep ourselves um, in situations that are not healthy? And that again uh, goes back to the comment from my friend Terry in Paris. Um, yeah, I think he had the courage after so many years in freelance uh, doing freelance work as an English teacher. I mean, he had the courage to, to say, uh, it's enough. Uh, I'm going to stop it, and I'm going to stand up for my life, and I'm going to look for something more stable. And for my own benefit, but also for the benefit of my own family, because uh, freelance work, I've been there, so I know it's a, it's a challenge. You know, you don't know how much uh, work you're going to get, and sometimes you do get a lot of work, and you're not able to handle it. And sometimes you don't have enough and you don't know what to do, I guess. So uh, it's important that when we find ourselves in situations that are, not, um, that are not conducive to our health, in a sense, that are not um, helping us out, I think it's very important that we find ways to get out of those. Uh, if I think back about the time when I was in that Buddhist organization, you know, I wasn't feeling miserable or anything. Um, I was just feeling um, my potential was not uh, was not used to the best uh, to the best of its ability. I mean, uh, we all have a lot of potential within, and if we don't go out and, and and do something on our own, if we keep listening to the people around us, and if we get um, more or less stuck in a structure uh, which give us a lot of rules and security at the same time. We're not going to be able to blossom, um, and I think it's very important that we, we expand as much as we can and explore the world and all its uh, possibilities. So if a situation is, is, in a sense, hampering us, if it's blocking our progress, I think it's important to, to react uh, properly and, and to do whatever we, we can to get out of it. And then there's a concept by, by two of my colleagues. I think one is called Meg Wheatley and the other one is called Deb, uh, Debbie Freeze. And they wrote a book around this theme. Uh, they call it Walk Out, Walk In. And you walk out uh, the, the necessity of walking out of situations that are not, again, healthy for, your, for yourself and your family and trying to move in into walking in into situations that brings um, more health and more benefits. Um, but this is not, again, uh, this is not an easy thing to do. And uh, it takes some, some courage. It takes some, uh, some digging, you know, within to see um, what, are we, what are we capable of? Uh, what are, why are we maintaining the status quo in our lives? And why is it that we don't um, want to make the first step and jump out? Um, the image also that came to mind in terms of the structure that we have sometimes in our lives, it could be in our workplace, it could be, it could be in different groups that we belong to, and the structure that we don't always uh, enjoy because it's sometimes too constraining. 
the image that came to mind, I don't, I don't think I've shared it with you yet, but the image of a scaffolding, you know, when you're building something and it's really high, or when you're repairing a building, for instance, you have all around it um, this, uh, this structure that keeps it in shape, this scaffolding. And once the, once the building is back up, or once the building is repaired or remodeled in a sense, then the scaffolding becomes just unnecessary. And what you do with the scaffolding, you just remove it because then you want everyone to enjoy the building as it is, as it stands on its own. And I think it's, it's a metaphor that I've been thinking of quite a, quite a bit in my life. You know, at what point does the scaffolding become unnecessary? At what point do I need to, to remove it? And um, at what point do I need to walk or am I able to walk on my own? Because I have the potential to do it. And because if I don't make the effort, uh, nobody's going to do it for me. Nobody's going to remove the scaffolding for me. I mean, it's my own life. It's my own area of expertise. It's my own areas of experience. If I don't venture into it, nobody's going to do it for me. I mean, I could wait for so long and um, eventually nothing's going to happen if I don't make the effort. So that's the idea I wanted to bring uh, in terms of loving ourselves and, and making uh, decisions for ourselves, for our lives, so that we can, in a sense, um, move further and, and start expanding. And sometimes it's important to spend time within, you know, in that cave, in that, in that spelunking activity where we can realize that um, we have all it takes to move forward. It just may be... Um, I know, it's not the spur of the moment, but maybe we need to do one simple thing, take the first step out of the house. There's a very famous quote also that a, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And once you start the, that very first step, then it becomes easier to, to take a second step, and then a third step, and then so on. And that's what... Um, that's what I would encourage you to do if you need to, if you think you're in a situation like this. But I think not often do we think about this idea of loving oneself when we move out of the situation where we are pretty much stuck. And um, to move on to this idea, again, the, the title of the show today, of the episode today is, is Forgiveness and Love. And I, I think I think very very deeply that they come together. There's a reason why love and forgiveness come together. Why the reason why they dance together? Uh, and I think one of the reasons is um, I think forgiveness is a prerequisite uh, to love. And and both at the same time, I think they need self. We need self forgiveness and self love. And if we want to achieve a form of self love, we need to achieve also a form of self forgiveness in the first place meaning that forgiveness is, um, is a prerequisite in a sense. You know, it needs to come first. We don't know what we need to forgive at times, and I will share an experience with you in, in, the, in the next segment about um, what happened to me and, um, in sitting the retreat that I attended in back in October. But um, I, the, the image that came to mind um, when I put forgiveness and love together, it's like... Um, the infinite side, the, several, the figure eight, you know, that is uh, sideways or lying down in a sense. 
it's the figure of the infinite. Um, the technical name uh, in geometry is called a lemniscate. Lemniscate. And in a sense, the, you know, there's a continuous flow between one part and the other. And that's how they work. They, they complete each other in a sense. Forgiveness and love. Love and forgiveness. Forgiveness and love. And again, they start with the self. Because if there's no self, if there's no, um, if there's no love at the self level, it's very hard to have love at the group level. Or I wanted to quote in here, um, before I move on to the next segment, um, the quote from Marion Woodman that I used uh, to prepare for the show and to promote the show. Uh, it's coming from a book called The Pregnant Virgin. I cannot love anyone else if there isn't any I to love. To the extent that I don't know myself, I cannot love myself. And providing I don't love myself, the love, that I, the love that I feel for others is most likely only a projection of my need to be accepted. I play a set role in order to be loved. I fear rejection. If no one loves me, I do not exist. And this goes back to the idea, of course, of self-love, but the idea of freeing oneself uh, from the bondage, in a sense, from the bondage of... of um, of judgment. I think the, the further element in the dance between uh, forgiveness um, and love is uh, is element of judgment. You know, the, if you go back to the idea of the monk, the two monks um, traveling together, obviously the younger monk, the senior monk, was uh, judging the older monk. And he was going by the rules. You know, the order told him, you're not supposed to do this, you're not supposed to carry women, you're not supposed to touch women. It goes against our code of conduct. I mean, so you're wrong. You're wrong, and once you start to put an attribute on someone that the person is wrong, you're obviously making a judgment. And and if you do judgment, we all make judgment. If you put judgment in front of your your love, then love love is completely blocked. And and that's why you know that's why we judge ourselves in the first place. Then we cannot love ourselves. It's, it seems to be that simple, but it's, it's um, the kind of, of conclusion that I came to, um, reflecting on this, on this concept of, of love and forgiveness, forgiveness and love, that uh, it starts with ourselves and it starts with uh, what we think uh, of ourselves and how do we consider ourselves. Um, it's very important that we are, in a sense... Um, I wouldn't say gentle, that we are very honest with ourselves and we treat ourselves just as the same as any other person and that we don't try to, to put ourselves down. Sometimes we have a tendency to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of our children or for the sake of our people. But in the long run, I'm not too sure that it's a very good practice, a very good um, habit that we can pass on. We are just human beings as, as anyone else. So in, uh, in the next segment, I will uh, also mention uh, what I call a slap in my face um, about judgment before I move on to talking about uh, my experience in terms of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. 
your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders, answering the higher calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. I was talking uh, about self-love in, uh, in my last segment and um, the importance of not putting blocks in front of ourselves, in a sense. And the biggest block, again, there's negative patterns in our lives, but um, one of the big blocks that I, it's not new to me, but it's called judgment. And, and we all judge, I guess, it's very part of our new human nature. I mean, there's nothing... I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, but I guess there's nothing to worry about. Uh, I think what is more important is to, to realize the impact or the, the effect of judgment in our lives. And, and something, again, it's not by accident, but I got a big slap in my face two days ago. And it was a very gentle slap at the same time, but I think that the universe was laughing at me. Uh, it was snowing two days ago in New Jersey, not very heavily. We got about five, six inches. But it was enough you know, for me to go out and, and plow and, and um, remove the snow, not plow, shovel, uh, at least around the car, the driveway, and also in the back of the house. And uh, I was waiting for the, for the snow to stop around 3, 4 o'clock. And then one of our neighbors suddenly out of the blue uh, came with a snowblower. And um, he came from across, diagonally across from where we live. And in the first place, I thought it was someone else, but it turned out to be a guy that um, he doesn't seem to be working at all. Uh, he has long hair, long beard. Uh, he doesn't seem to be very sociable. Um, he drinks at times. You can see him with a can of beer. 
so it's the kind of you know it's a kind of guy I would rather try to avoid when we see him outside we, we just say hello and we we try not to engage into any kind of conversation and um, that's the way it is I mean there's people that don't give you a good impression um, but obviously I was judging this person and I thought to myself uh, two days ago yes um, I was judging this person and my judgment about him wasn't very positive. You know, I wasn't really looking, uh, putting him on a pedestal in a sense. And I was really um, not happy about this guy in the neighborhood. And now he comes and he plow, he plow our, our driveway. So what, what am I supposed to do with my judgment? You know, I, I, I look, I sound like an idiot now, I guess. You know, there's a guy I can't, I can't really love in a sense. That's the word. And uh, in my notes, I, I, I wrote, "I can I love this guy? I can't really love him because of the judgment I, I hold onto him." And then he comes and he plows our, our driveway. So it's like, bang in a sense. And it, it was very, very mystical because we have. He uh, came from diagonally across again. That's why he plowed in the first time. But then there was neighbors across us and also neighbors to our left and he didn't touch their driveway. He only came here. So I don't know who sent him. Um, I certainly didn't ask him, but I thought it was my goodness. What an example it is, you know, someone I've been judging not favorably for, for quite some time. Someone I've been trying to avoid and suddenly it comes into our lives and he does something that is unexpected and so generous and obviously it made my life so much easier so honestly I don't know what I'm going to do next time I see him but uh, suddenly I will say thank you and um, you never know what can change your perspective about people again you know sometimes you have negative impressions of people and you keep harboring those impressions and judgments in your mind you, you, need, uh, you need some fuel in a sense to reinforce those judgments but in the end, you know, you don't know who people are because you have such a, a shallow relationship with them. And that's very much the case with this neighbor. So that's the way life is. I guess there's always surprises and lessons to learn. This one I'm going to learn very seriously. So this one is about judgment again. And I was talking about the idea of, of judgment um, blocking our path blocking our path to forgiveness and blocking our path to, uh, to love. Again, I see, I see the three of them as a trio in a sense. Uh, I don't know if judgment is dancing, but um, because judgment doesn't seem as positive and, and, and nice as forgiveness and love. But um, I had, a, again, a strong experience about forgiveness in relation to my childhood that took place during the retreat that I mentioned early on during the, the show. Again, we were at a, at a lodge in Colorado for six days, so it's quite a long experience. Um, know, morning, early morning until late at night. Uh, lots of meditation, lots of time to, to think things through and to, to let go of what we don't need, I guess. And... Um, and what piece that came to mind, it's very interesting because uh, last year in April, I watched, um, I watched a video by uh, a guy called Greg Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N. Um, and the video, it's a video where Greg uh, addresses the seven Essene mirrors. And in a sense, it's like, it talks about seven different mirrors that sends us back some, something, an image about, about our relationship um, 
in our lives. I guess different kinds of mirrors, you know. It's not only a question of people we meet, but... And for whatever reason, the most meaningful one was the mirror number five, the fifth ascending mirror. And it relates to our perception of our divine mother and divine father. And Greg, in his, in his video, says that our belief and attitude towards our parents tends to influence the perception we have of the divine mother and divine father. And... and I watched that video twice. It's a very long video. Um, you can feel free to come to my um, blog, Nurturing the Gift of Seeking, if you want to, uh, to watch it. But it's a very long video. But this segment about the Divine Mother and Divine Father get me going. You know, and I thought back about uh, the impressions and the opinions I had about my mother and father. And during the workshop in the video, he asked people, participants, they are, it's a live video, so you can see the participants, you know, one positive thing about your parents, well, your mother and your father, and one negative thing about your, your parents. And I thought about myself, and I talked about my childhood, and, um, and what I mentioned also, my father and my mother. And what really um, remained in my mind, clicked in my mind, stick in my, stuck in my mind, was the idea that my, my father was very withdrawn. You know, he wasn't expressing much, uh, much emotion. Uh, in many ways, um, it was, he had shut down long ago, emotionally speaking, and didn't want to go there. And as a result, I mean, it was very difficult to learn anything about my father, how he was feeling, and also especially what he lived as a young child, I guess. And that was my opinion about my father for until, until October, I guess. And... Um, for whatever reason, during the retreat on Sunday evening, that, that video popped up in my mind and that concept of the fifth Sunny uh, mirror uh, came back to life and, and, and uh, along with it, my, my opinion about my father. And um, I thought to myself, it's kind of strange, you know, uh, I'm in a retreat. It's the perfect place to, to deal with uh, things past and what has been, uh, in a sense, haunting me. And... Um, Good. So then I go into my room and I had bought, um, I had bought a cube uh, called a Metatron cubes. Uh, it's just a geometric figure that helps release different patterns uh, and helps release blocks of uh, unconscious patterns. And I, I, um, I did some meditation that night and all week long with this, um, with this cube, the Metatron's cube. And, and more and more came in terms of what I was uh, thinking about my father and what also took place during our childhood, my brother and my, my brother and my childhood. And uh, I mentioned during episode two, you know, these feelings of guilt that I was, uh, in a sense, um, projecting onto myself. I was feeling myself guilty because I wasn't able to... Um, to protect my father when there was a storm at home, uh, a yelling storm coming from, from my mother, from the dragon that breathes fire. Um, my loving mother, who loved us the way she was taught to love, so that's uh, just the way it is. And these, these memories came back, I mean, as I was meditating and doing meditation morning and evening, very assiduously, I knew that something would be coming out of my life. And eventually, um, the feeling that came out was a feeling um, of sadness, of course. I was able to dispel that feeling of sadness that dates back to, to this time when I was um, at home during mealtime. And there was uh, 
a big uproar in the kitchen. We always had our meals in the kitchen. But at some point, it's interesting, I had a, an image came to my mind as I was meditating. I, I, what I envisioned in my mind was a high altitude dam, a dam, D-A-M, filled by cooling water with glowing mountains in the background. And where I was in Colorado, there's a lot of high mountains with a bit of snow. And in my mind then what I was praying for was for the power of the accumulated water to create a bridge in the dam so that it would eventually collapse. There would like a bridge in the, in, in the dam and the, the water would start flowing and eventually the dam will go by. And to me, the, the water was clearly a symbol of love. And I asked at the time, very, I remember that very clearly, I asked Master Jesus for, for assistance in helping me uh, take down that, that dam. And uh, I knew that this water, what I call the water love, would eventually flood the valley down the dam in my mind, in my metaphor, and flow way beyond it. So I, in me, uh, within me, I knew that it was something that I had to do. I had something to take care of. Uh, a big chunk of my childhood emotions and childhood feelings uh, for the sake of helping humanity in a sense. And um, I, I don't know if I had a, a very clear picture of my meditation, the success of my meditation. I couldn't see anything beyond the river, down the dam. Uh, I don't think that was very, very important. But um, what was important that I was taking me someplace and that was, in a sense, cleansing the, 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 the power of water. You know, it's a very cleansing element. And uh, when it starts gushing, uh, it cleans everything in its, in its way. And um, what happens next? Um, one morning, I think the very last morning was, uh, not the last one, the one before. Uh, I was woken up very early in the morning. And I started to, again, to meditate and practice and a lot of words came to my mind from, from this time back um, when I was a child. And words like, I forgive you, Papa, with love. I forgive you, Jill, Saul, with love. I forgive you, Jill, for the opinions you form about your father and for the expectations you nurtured about him. I forgive you, Jill, Saul, for any form of aggravation. And... and the last word that the last few words that came also is I love you, Papa Soul, and I support you. So in my mind I was able to go back and support him during these difficult times that we all experienced at home. And I think that was very, very um, healing, very, very beneficial. And the very first few words that I learned or that I got in that morning in that meditation that really came to my mind is like you are free to fly, Gilles. You are free to love. And it's, uh, you know, I can't really immerse myself now into the feeling that I was uh, into uh, that, that Thursday morning when I did that meditation. But it, it was a very strong uh, cleansing experience and a lot of things came back to the surface that I was able to deal with and things that had been um, hidden far down into my subconscious. I knew that I was um, carrying some guilt from that time but I didn't know what function the guilt was playing in my life. And I think essentially, um, like I said, you know, judgment blocks us. I was judging my father. I was judging myself because I thought that wasn't strong enough to protect my dad at the time. And I was looking down at me, you know, what kind of an individual you are if you're not able to protect your father and protect your family. 
And I think the judgment that I held at the time when I was 12 or 13 or possibly 14 was very harsh. And it's something that has stayed with me. And, and, and I'm very um, happy and especially grateful that this, this barrier, this barrier to being able to, bar, to love uh, has been removed finally. Uh, because of all the work, uh, all the work and all the spelunking that I've been doing, and I think it's it's the kind of experience that um, that moves you and moves me along the way, I guess, uh, and wants me to do more of uh, more spelunking and encourage people like like I'm doing now in this show, encourage people to to go within and to look at what blocks us, what blocks our progress, what blocks our our passion in a sense for for cleansing our lives and moving forward and, and for, for loving our, ourselves in the first place and for loving other people. So that's where I would like to, to end the show today and I will, um, I will say a few more words about love next week. I mean, uh, uh, again, it's something I haven't really um, had a chance to, to delve into the concept of love. It's mostly about forgiveness as a prerequisite to love. So thank you very much for listening. I look forward to seeing you, quote-unquote, next week, Thursday. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again. 